As promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. Update for Brisbane Australian True Crime fans. Brisbane is almost fully sold out for our live show. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so, you know, we love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian true crime live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today, and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The producers of this podcast recognize the traditional owners of the land on which it's recorded. They pay respect to the Aboriginal elders past, present and those emerging. Welcome to Crime Fiction Friday with Emily Webb, where I explore the minds that bring us wicked, terrifying and chilling best-selling reads. The book Hermit is a stunner of a debut novel from author Steve White, who goes under the pen name S.R. White. It's his first published novel, but he's been writing for years, admitting he's got a drawer full of unpublished book drafts and hundreds of rejection letters. He hit a sweet spot with Hermit. It's a moody, intriguing story set in a regional Australian town where a local shopkeeper is found murdered and a man who has gone off the radar years ago is found at the scene. Before we hear from Steve, let's hear how Hermit begins. Hermit begins. 
purple pre-dawn. The ink black pools and white spray of pulpit falls. Dana Russo was here on this morning each year, and it always seemed the same. Never rained, never snowed. Bruised and sullen every time. She could easily climb over this flimsy fence. Two strands of wire threaded between rudimentary wooden posts. It was nothing. Would only take a second. She wouldn't have to jump, really. She could just fall. Maybe that would be better. Dana knew about trajectories. It was part of her job. If she landed on the middle rock, the one splitting two churning arcs of swift water, they'd understand it was deliberate. She'd have died in a manner that would demand close scrutiny. It would oblige them to sift through her life, looking for the explanation. Her emails and private documents, the contents of her safe, her diary, everything would be exposed and picked over. She'd be dead and then sliced open. Dana knew how far investigations could burrow, the kind of stones they turned over. Whereas if her head struck the nearside bank, cleaving open her skull in a single strike, it might be considered an accident. There had been a lot of rain recently, and then this icy spell, so the edge was brittle. They might think her stupid or foolhardy, but they couldn't prove she'd meant it. Perhaps then they'd have less reason to pilfer the remains of her life and hold them up to the light. A cold breeze slapped her face. Below her, a hawk skimmed the surface of the calmer water downstream. She watched its careless, immaculate wheeling and heard a keening cry through the misty air. Eucalypts on the far shore hissed. The blustery chill made her eyes water. This was her day. The day Dana granted herself full permission to think about all this, to examine it and ask if she found herself wanting. Each day through the year, she kept it as locked down and hidden away as she could. Often, she failed. She failed because while the threat and the shame kept its strength, she waxed and waned. She was the variable. It was her reaction that stumbled frequently. She drifted with good days and bad, triumphs and disappointments, strong and weak. She tried to contain it adequately by allowing it one day of total freedom. For this day alone, she deliberately and overtly questioned from every angle if she wished to live another year. If she was still asking at midnight, the contract was made. She would try to carry on until the next day. really great to speak to you, Steve, about your book, Hermit, which I'm listening to on audiobook right now, and it's absolutely gripping. It's very different too. First of all, tell us a bit about yourself, and is this your first book? It's the first book to be published, but I've been writing since I was sort of in my mid-twenties, so about 30 years. Um, so this is the ninth one that I've written. So I have about 800 rejections sitting in various <laughs> various forms and various places before I got here. So, yeah, I've always written uh, stories with a crime basis, but not perhaps quite as procedurally based as this one. This is the first one that's an out-and-out procedural. If you don't mind me asking, where do you live, Steve, in Australia? Uh, I live on the Sunshine Coast, so I moved out to Australia from the UK about five years ago. 
and my parents uh, lived out here, so it's natural to, to come here first off. Beautiful place to live. So tell us about the book Hermit. It's crime, it's a bit twisty, and it's quite an unusual storyline. But first of all, tell us a bit about the plot. Dana Russo is a, a detective in a small town in Australia. Um, I haven't named the state, but it's, it's a small town in a regional area. And she's called to uh, a murder scene very early in the morning, around dawn. And a guy, uh, Lou Cassavet, has been owned over the shop and he's been stabbed. And when the police initially arrived, responding to an alarm, there was a man standing over the body with blood on his hands and he's been taken into custody. As Dana starts to look to gather some information about him, they find that this man, Nathan Whitler, has been completely absent for the past 15 years of his life. they got nothing on him. They don't know where he's lived, where he's been, what he's done. He hasn't touched his bank account. There's no phone. Um, he's just completely off-grid in a completely blank sheet of paper. And Dana has 12 hours to try and get out of him what happened and why. And Dana's interesting too because the book opens up with her in a scene by herself and there's obviously a very intriguing backstory to Dana but what can you tell us without any spoilers <laughs> about Dana just for the, to pique the listener's interest? Right, so yes, when, when it opens, Dana is, is on what she calls the day which is a, an anniversary of uh, one or more terrible events in her life, in her past and this is the day that she always takes off work and tries to contemplate whether basically she wishes to carry on living or not. She tries as much as possible to compartmentalize her pain into that one day and try and make some sort of rational decision, even though that isn't really possible. So she's supposed to be not there at all at work today, but she is the only person who can crack this case for reasons that become apparent as, as the book goes on. And so she's constantly throughout the day fighting back the things that she ought to be considering and the fears that, that rise within her. And yet some of those things are the very tools that she needs to solve the crime. And um, as the title suggests, Hermit, there's a real emphasis on the solitary nature of Nathan's existence and of solitude in general, what's loneliness, and also about Dana's own feelings when she's talking with Nathan. There's a lot about that in the book, which is really fascinating, the interplay between Dana and Nathan. What attracted you to that theme? It's actually turned out to be quite prescient, hasn't it? But I, <laughs> it has. I, um, I, I obviously had no idea back in, in 2017 when I started it. There were, there were a couple of things that sort of gelled together, really. I, I read a book by Michael Finkel called The Stranger in the Woods, which is a um, true story about a guy in New England in the U.S. called Christopher Knight. And he disappeared into the forest and wasn't seen again for 37 years. And in all of that time, he spoke one word to one human being. It's a really, really interesting story about how he survived and also what it did to him to, to be in that space and the, the sort of fascination that people had with his story and, and the fact that he wouldn't reveal it made it all the more fascinating. So that was part of it. I was very interested in in what that did to a person to be that isolated. Um, I think we sort of sometimes drift through life and forget that for a lot of people, that isolation is, is very real, even if they're walking around amongst us and in the same supermarkets as us and so on. So I was interested in that angle. And in particular, how that will play out in a, in a crime scene where 
police officers didn't really have a starting point. They didn't have any form of leverage with the suspect because they didn't know anything about them. So that was one thing. The the second thing then was a, a book I read by Susan Cain called Quiet, and that's about introversion and in particular introversion within sort of a, an extrovert working environment. And that was where I really got the idea for Dana. I was very interested in how you could be an introvert detective, whether that was really possible. There's been detectives before who've been sort of individuals or sort of loners in some respect, but they're not really introverts and they're quite sort of irascible or extrovert or charismatic or what have you. And I was interested in whether an introvert would actually be a more successful detective than an extrovert because of how they approach life. There's a fair bit of, as you say, police procedural and this or crime procedural and a lot of research about the terrain where Nathan has lived and his preparations. How did you go about doing your research? Well, I worked for a police force for 12 years in, in Wales. So I wasn't a police officer, well, I was on the civilian side, but uh, that was a lot of uh, good stuff there about the general culture of the police, sort of attitudes and sense of humour and so on. And I wanted to, to give the reader a, a little bit under the skin of that. And, and an example of that is the amount of planning that Dana does in, in preparing for interviews. It always irks me when I see crime dramas and someone jumps out of their car and walks into the station and immediately starts interviewing someone. <laughs> and I think, well, actually, it doesn't quite work like that. So I wanted to sort of get across some of those deeper elements of that. So I already had a, a, a basis in that um, and awareness of that. And then as far as Nathan is concerned, um, that the Stranger in the Woods book that I mentioned was was quite a good starting point because Christopher Knight had done that for 37 years. And I was able to, as you so often do when you're writing fiction, start off with something that's fact and then just sort of uh, extrapolate and, and build sort of branches off that to, to build up Nathan's life. Yeah, I think the um, case that you refer to about Christopher Knight, there was a really good long-form article, wasn't it? I wonder, is that what the book was spun off from? I remember reading it a few years ago about he did a lot of burglaries, didn't he? He did like hundreds of burglaries. He did, yes. He, he, lived, he actually, I think it was about over a thousand burglaries he ended up being charged with. Yes, the, I think uh, Michael Finkel was the only journalist that, that he would speak to. So I think Michael Finkel did the original articles and then sort of lengthened it out into a a book because there's quite a lot in in that book about the background to hermits generally, sort of the history of of people being hermits in a religious sense. So I think he sort of uh, spun those extra elements onto the book. You definitely touch on it in the book. It's almost like as a society we're sort of so out there, you know, we've got our phones with us all the time, we document our lives. It's very hard for people to understand how people could live the way Nathan does in the book. Is that something that you wanted to explore as well, just the juxtaposition with, you know, how hermits live and how we all live at, at this point in time? Yes, I think so. I I, I wanted to to really plant Nathan into a, a sort of a modern setting and, and show the, the full extent of the contrast. And it's not just the sort of the physical of, oh, he doesn't have a phone or he doesn't have an address or what have you. It's also the attitude. He doesn't want a phone. He doesn't feel the need to communicate to others. He doesn't feel the need to project his life or curate a, a certain image towards someone. Um, and I think we live in an increasingly 
extrovert world and we're increasingly pushed towards that. And I think for a lot of people, that's really quite stressful. They don't want to, to live their life in front of other people. But I think the majority view now is coming around to, well, why don't you? Why wouldn't you? And you can almost get sort of suspicion of people who want to, uh, to retain their privacy. It's a hard thing to get back when you've lost it. You see that with people who, I guess, become famous online and then might want to scale it back. Yeah, um, and yeah. it's very hard to do that. Yeah, the internet doesn't forget. There's a there's a really no. good uh, book called "You've Been Publicly Shamed." Oh, that's amazing and scary too. Yeah, it is, and it, it's sort of, in some ways, it's out of date because um, you know things like Twitter didn't exist when you wrote it. And yet at the same time, it's, it's exactly what's still happening. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, that was a really interesting bit of research as well in terms of, of that, as you say, that juxtaposition between people who want to live their lives very privately and the sort of very public life that we, we seem to be pushed towards. So this book's been quite successful, Steve, and you just told us before that you've written a number of books that have been, you know, not published or you've had the good old rejection letters. <laughs> what's kept you going with your writing? Like what sustains you as a writer in the face of, you know, those kind of setbacks? I think first and foremost, you do it because you love it. Um, I think with anything like this, you, you may hope that it leads to publication eventually, but you have to be doing it because you love it. Um, and it's my only creative outlet. I can't sing or dance or do anything else useful. So I think also you, you feel like you're getting better with each book. You certainly should be getting better with each book. And so you feel like you're inching towards something. Some of it is complete stubbornness on my part. And some of it, I think, is you, you get to a stage where you know that what you're writing is good enough in a sort of technical sense, although you'll always be edited. You, you feel like you're getting there. And then it just becomes a, a question of sort of subjectivity, really. And um, you just got to get it in the hands of the right person on the right day. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What's your writing process? I'm asking each author I interview about this. Are you a meticulous plotter or do you kind of just go with the flow? How do you go about your writing? So I've just been writing the sequel, actually. So in some ways, it's, it's similar and some it's different. My general rule is that I always know how it starts. I always know how it ends. I always know who killed and why. And that gives me my sort of basic themes for the, for the book. 
but I don't always know what happens in between. And then in the, in the case of Hermits, I basically just wrote each scene as it came to me. So when I felt like I could write a particular scene, I did that. And so I ended up with a first draft that was sort of all over the place and then pieced it together with subsequent drafts. Whereas the, the sequel, I basically wrote in the same chronology that you'll be reading it. So that that aspect varies. One thing that I did, because there were so many police interviews with, with this book, what I did with those was to write the dialogue first. So I wrote that almost like a screenplay. Um, just write all of the dialogue first. And then that dialogue informed the body language because there's quite a lot about body language and the specifics of that. And then off the back of that, I was able to write the background about the, the psychology of what each uh, each person was thinking and what the implications might be. Do you write every day? Do you have a set time that you do it or do you do it when you can fit it in? I sit in front of the computer every day. <laughs> Does that count? Um <laughs> General, what I what I try to do is if, if I'm feeling creative, then I just write whatever I felt like writing. Um, and I can always, you know, sort that out later. If I don't really feel very creative, that's when I edit. Because the uh, theory is you should edit like your worst, worst enemy. So if you're not feeling particularly creative, that's probably the best time to be editing. So Hermit went through 17 drafts. So uh, wow. there's a lot more editing than creating. And when you sent Hermit off to be hopefully picked up by publishers, did you get an immediate interested reaction or was it one publisher who said, yeah, this is great, let's go with this? Uh, well, I got the agent first. So my agent is uh, Hattie Grunewald. I think it took about six months with Hattie from from first sending it to her until she signed me up. Um, she was rightly very cautious. But over, over the space of about a year, about uh, 80 agents said, no, thank you. But then once Hattie said yes, then we did some refinements, sent it off, and we, we got a, an answer from Headline fairly quickly. Then they, they came in with a, a two-book offer. So once, once we got to the stage of sending it out to publishers, I got an answer fairly quickly, but it was a, a long slog to that point. And so what do you do with yourself when you're in those moments waiting for these things to happen? Like how do you distract yourself in between when you're waiting for that news? Um, well, I try to always be writing one. So it, it takes me about 18 months to write a book. I'm supposed to be published about once a year with these two books. So the next one should be out in, in September next year. So as you can tell, 18 months into 12 doesn't really go. So I, <laughs> I have to overlap and I have uh, two, maybe three books going at the same time. So I'm doing publicity now for, for this book. I'm doing editing for the next book and I'm doing the first draft for the book after that. So there's always, you know, at least two books on the go. Um, beyond that, I do a lot of reading um, and watch a lot of TV and drink a lot of coffee like most Australians. <laughs> it sounds like a great life. Is there any possibility that you may revive some of those books that you've got in the drawers that never got picked up or got rejected? Oh, um, I wouldn't think so. There's one I'd like to do again as a standalone novel just because I love the story, but uh, that will be separate from, from the crime series. So I'm, I'm planning out doing three, at least four 
of these crime novels with, with Dana. Oh, that's great to hear. I was going to ask if we'd see Dana again, so I'm really glad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She, she's in the next one. Most of the, the team are in the next one, um, and she's in the third one. So, yeah, I, I plan four if I ever get four published. So there's only there's only one previous novel that I'd like to return to, and that was a complete standalone. That was totally different to all the others. So that would have to stand apart from... Uh, from the crime novels, but it uh, depends if I get a taker for that or not. I can't say to the listeners how much I love this book, and I'm also really delighted that Dana's coming back because she's a really, <laughs> she's a great character. Thank you. I'm also asking authors about some of the books that they read, maybe when they were younger, or just generally some of the the crime novels that have been quite influential for them, either as just for enjoyment of reading or for their writing. Do you have any books that stand out to you that you'd like to tell listeners? Yeah, I have a few. I I, I try and take sort of different things from different books, and, and they're not always the things that, that those books are famous for. So I'm a huge James Elroy fan, love all his stuff. And and what I've always taken from that is is – basically to be brave about what you're writing. Um, I think if you just read James Elroy, you would think he was such a horrible, horrible person, truly awful person. And yet he doesn't really care about that. He just carries on writing with that sort of all-out attack that, that he brings to his books. Um, and I think that's a very admirable thing for all writers to, to take on board. I mentioned that I was writing a series, and I'm supposed to be doing one a year, and I'm, I'm quite inspired by Louise Penny in her Gamash series which are great books, but she also produces them at one a year and, and has done for about 15 mm-hmm. years. And, and she got started quite late. She got her, her publication start quite late, like I did. And I'm also a big fan of Karen Alftegen, who's a Swedish writer. I think there's only about two or three of her books you can get in translation, which is a shame. But she was always very, very good at not so much the crime, but the ripples, the, the way that it rippled out through different people's lives and how it sort of uh, jolted their lives out of kilter. Um, so I always sort of took from that the, the need for for deaths and murders to be the starting point of a lot of, of reactions and counter-reactions. Sometimes I read crime novels and the pace is moving so fast that, you know, someone gets shot. And then five minutes later, oh, we're onto the you know the car crash now, and we're onto the the next scene, and you don't really get those ripples. But Karen Elftegen was always very good at uh, at showing what what happened to people's emotions afterwards. So I took that from there. And do you experience fear? I know I find myself as a, I've written some nonfiction, and I was a journalist, and I'm dipping my toe into having a go at fiction, but it's just terrifying. And I get an idea and I think this is stupid. Like, I don't even know how I'd write this. What's your advice to people about who want to have a go at writing or the procrastination, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I think I think one of the, one of the big problems people have is, is making a jump from small fiction to, to full novel length fiction. Um, so I've, I've met, I did a, a, a master's and there were lots of very talented people on that. But a lot of them said, oh, I, I can write short stories, but I can't write. I couldn't write something that long. And I think, well, actually, you, essentially, you're just knitting short stories together, aren't you, to write a novel? So um, my advice would be to start small, um, start with a small idea, and then just try and work those ripples backwards and forwards. Because whatever your crime, there was something happening before it, and there's something happening after it. And if you take those sort of tentacles 
backwards and take them forwards. And then you'll start to bring in other characters, other elements, different time scales, different pacing and so on. And it'll gradually build up. If you can write 500 words a day, every day, then you can write the first draft of a novel in about eight months. It doesn't have to be great. Get it, just get the first draft written. It doesn't have to be particularly good. It's much easier to change what you've already done than to write it in the first place. So it takes me about 10 months to write a first draft, even though I'm you know, revising lots of bits as it goes. Thereafter, you know, that's about three quarters of the work. And then even with a, I've got a very good editor in London, but even with, with his help, it's only going to take a few months to, to do the rest of the work. So the big work is the first draft. If you can get a first draft, you're three quarters there. That's really good advice, actually. It's, yeah, just don't, you know, just to start small and be consistent. Yeah, I mean, one, of, one of the things I did when I was writing and, and still sort of full-time working was I would get home from work and I wouldn't get changed. So I'd still be in my work clothes and then I'd write 500 words and then I'd get changed. So then it kind of feels just like a little bit of extra time at the office then. And it doesn't feel like the same imposition on your your time if you get changed and then, you know, deal with all your family life and dinner and what have you, then it's a bit more of a schlep to, to go off and do your writing then. If you come back and you're still in in sort of work mode and not in family or, or domestic life mode, that seems to work a little bit better. It did for me anyway. You mentioned that you like to watch some TV as well. What's on your must-watch list? What have you really enjoyed over the past few years in, in crime television? Really loved The Bridge, the Swedish, uh, Swedish version of The Bridge. I just thought that was just a, that's a character I would have loved to have written, but I'm not sure that it would even work that well on the page. I think she just brought so much to that role that it would be very difficult to, to write it and, and get the same impact. I like quite a lot of uh, older crime drama, so Law and Order Criminal Intent. Oh, I love that. I've been watching that actually um, on my lunch break working from home because I'm in Melbourne. So I like, I'll have my lunch and I'll put a good old uh, Criminal Intent on it. It's a classic. As I said, I've been listening to Hermit on audiobook and I can really visualise it. May we see it one day on the big screen or the small screen? Oh, that would be nice. Yes, yes. Yeah, no, no sort of great plans. That's, that's in other people's hands, really, to uh, to try and sell it. Yeah, I think one of the reasons I'd like to see it made is it's quite cheap to make. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that probably counts in its favour. You could uh, you could do it relatively cheaply. Yeah, so I would like to see it, but then I sort of have mixed feelings about, oh, what if they do it wrong? Mm. You know, it's um, it's sort of like sending your kid off to school, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I don't think you get much choice if someone offers you either say yes or no, and then they get to run away with your child and, uh, and make a mess of them. So. Yeah, that would be quite difficult, I think, as a writer because, yeah, you don't really have much control. You're not really going to be in charge of telling them how to film it. No, I think it's a bit of a loop as well. I, I, I read some interviews with Anne Cleves, who, who wrote the Vera stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, Vera is a big, huge series now and very much sort of dominated by, by Brenda Brethlin's portrayal of that and she was saying that when she writes Vera now she just sees the actress whereas before she had a sort of uh, quite a different idea of, of what Vera looked like and so I think if if you, if you had someone make one of your books you'd start to get a bit of a feedback loop and you start to to write as if you know that actor was in that role rather than necessarily the the character that's in your head 
So it was sort of the TV series would start to inform the, the book rather than the other way around. Congratulations, Steve. It's such a great book. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And I've often gone back and re-listened to bits because I want to listen again. So, and I'm sure it's the same with reading the book as well, but it's it's just an intriguing storyline. And yeah, congratulations. And I'm really looking forward to your next book. Thanks very much, Emily. Thanks for talking to me. Thank you for downloading Crime Fiction Friday with Emily Webb. You can buy books by today's author and lots more in our bookshop at australiantruecrimepodcast.com. There's a link in our show notes and on the Australian True Crime Facebook page. This has been another Smartfella production in conjunction with the Acast Creator Network. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. As promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. Update for Brisbane Australian True Crime fans. Brisbane is almost fully sold out for our live show. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so, you know, we love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian true crime live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today, and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out.